Good morning again, everyone. My name is Ryan Alexander. Can you sense the Holy Spirit moving in this place and in hearts? I can. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to move uh, as we get into his word. At this time, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. We have a vision here at Hosanna. We see God multiplying his hope and his heartbeat. Uh, we, we believe that we are, are to be a part of multiplying the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. And when you give uh, faithfully and biblically and freely, and we grow in our giving, you are the provision for this vision. And know that. And, and your, your giving is making a difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of people in countless ways. I just want to tell you about one way. One of the ways that God is using Hosanna to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus is through our partnership with Gemetius Buba. Do you know Dr. Gemetius Buba? He is uh, a man from Ethiopia. Uh, he returns there frequently to raise up and, and to reach that next generation of Christ followers. And so as we partner with him, we are multiplying the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus all over Ethiopia and really around the world. We are a part of this movement through Dr. Gemetius that is, is changing an entire country and region. And so uh, we are so blessed to know him and to partner with him. And a couple times a year, once or twice a year, he comes back to share his heart and his gifts and a word with us. That is next weekend here at Hosanna. Uh, Dr. Gemetius will be here sharing a word with us, and so don't miss it. Uh, bring your friends. Uh, we're going to take a brief hiatus from our Ten Commandments series next weekend so that Dr. Gemetius has plenty of room to roam in the spirit um, and, and share what's on his heart, but we'll pick up the series again the following week. So that's next week and beyond. This week, though, we are very much in this series, The Field Guide to Real Life, a study of the Ten Commandments. And the commandment this week is, you shall not commit dun, 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 adultery, all right? Not commit adultery. And this is where I said earlier, if you missed it, uh, that uh, this is probably a PG-13 message, more like 80s and 90s PG-13, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Seems like they've lowered the bar there with the movie ratings. But anyway, nothing outlandish, but if you were planning to have a nice relaxing afternoon with your kids and weren't planning to have certain conversations with them, you might want to take them to kids' ministry uh, this morning, and we are ready for you if you want to do that. The Ten Commandments are found in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the, the Bible and how it works, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus. The New Testament is Jesus and everything after, everything after. And so the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament. We find them in two places, in Exodus 20 and, and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But then throughout the New Testament, we find, we find a number of references to the Ten Commandments, directly and indirectly. The, the writers of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the writers were Jewish people who had become Jesus followers, and they didn't reject the Ten Commandments. In fact, if anything, they, they reclaimed them for this new movement of, of Christ followers. And so we see this all over the place, the New Testament writers referring to the Ten Commandments, including this week. There are a number of references to the subject of adultery or, more broadly, sexual immorality. And, and a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the early leaders of the church, he talks about sexual immorality in this verse we're going to look at. And he doesn't give this calm you know, warning or subtle recommendation. Uh, in fact, he, he says this with a bit more urgency or a bit more emphatically. He says, if you see sexual immorality coming, run. <laughs> run. Run away. Flee. Get out of Dodge. Run for the hills. Run for us, run. Run for your life if you see it coming. <laughs> Here's how he says it in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 
uh, verse 18, he says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against what? Against your own body. So there, there is something about sexual sin, sexual immorality that affects us at an even deeper level than others. With other sins and struggles in the Bible, we find uh, the, the biblical encouragement to be like stand and, and resist and fight. But with sexual immorality, it is run, <laughs> run, flee. And, and the Greek word for run uh, here is not just run from something that Paul uses. It's, it's also to run to something, to run to something, specifically to run to safety. So when he's saying run from sexual immorality as if your very life depends on it, because it does, don't just run from something, run to something. Now we know that just running from something doesn't make you safer, does it? I mean, you've seen the horror movies where the main characters are scared, they're in a corner somewhere and they freak out and they run for safety, but they, they run right into the arms of the you know, killer or the monster or whatever, right? Just running from something doesn't make you safer. You've heard the adage that, that you can't run from your problems, can you? You can't run. They usually just follow you and sometimes they multiply as you go. You can't run from them. So, so it, there's running from, but there's also running to, and it's true of this topic as well. In fact, I want to say it this way. The best way to run from immorality, sexual immorality, is to run to intimacy. To run to intimacy. The best way to run from immorality is to run to intimacy. It's like that sports cliche. You know, the, uh, the best offense is a good what? Defense. And, and in this case, the opposite is true. The best defense is a good offense. <laughs> The best defense against immorality is, is a good offense, and the offense is intimacy, intimacy. And so we're going we're gonna to look at a passage, actually the passage that I just pulled that, that verse we read, I read a few moments ago from. And in this, in this passage, we're going to draw some insights into what intimacy is, this offense, or the thing that we should be running to, running to. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read the three verses before the one that I just read, verse 18. By the way, I want to say this, because I know this thought's in the room, okay? I know that some of you are going, okay, here we go. This is going to be the marriage talk, and, you know, I'm not married, and, well, I am, but you're thinking, I'm not, I'm single. What what does this message mean for me? And I want you to know I've been been thinking about everyone in preparation for this message, Uh, uh, truly, Married, single, young, old, uh, all of us, because I think there's a message for all of us here. Particularly, there's a tenderness, I believe, in God's heart for those who are single right now. And I just, I really believe that God, through this message, is saying, I want you to pursue intimacy with, with me. God is saying that, like never before, that this is, this is a time for you to really lean into intimacy, closeness with him. So hear this, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would, would translate and personalize this message for you wherever you are. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I want to give you a little background, as we often do, context for this scripture, because it didn't just happen in a vacuum. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth, the Christians in Corinth, would have been far from the majority of people. They were a fledgling minority in this this metropolis of a city in the first century. Probably 100,000 minimum people living in this city, maybe up to 500,000. And, and this was a center, as you see on the map there, a center of, of, of trade because of where it's located right in the middle of Greece, about halfway between Athens and Sparta. 
And, and you can see from the map that it's on an isthmus and there's water on either side and land. It was a center for trade in the ancient world. And, and it wasn't just commodities that were being traded in, in Corinth. Uh, uh, the other things were being traded like, like cultural ideas and political ideas and, and religious ideas and sexual ideas. Sexual norms and practices were being traded around. Oftentimes in the ancient world, there was a blend between religion and sexual practice. And, and this was true in Corinth. There was a, a temple to the Greek goddess Aphrodite in Corinth where a thousand prostitutes, temple prostitutes, waited for men who wanted to come and have a divine experience. Right? That's what was going on here. The, the, the immorality in Corinth was rampant, rampant. In fact, Corinth and immorality became synonymous in people's minds. They even turned it into a verb, some people. If, if something was immoral, they said it was being Corinthianized. Okay, you're getting a sense for this place and to the people that Paul was writing to. And we're not gonna read these verses, 12 through 14, but, but I wanna highlight a couple of themes that you can go back to later. One is Paul says that, that everything is permissible for you, Christ followers, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible. Meaning as, as one who is... Um, accepted Christ and has said yes to Christ and is in Christ. Everything's permissible, right? We've talked about this. Jesus plus nothing is everything. But Paul says to Christ followers, but not everything's helpful. Not everything's beneficial. In fact, he says there are some things that will just like lead you into slavery or back into slavery. And this has been one of the themes of this 10 Commandments series that the Ten Commandments aren't just a bunch of dusty old rules that take the fun out of life. They are God's way of showing us how to live life. Here's how to live life, a life that's free. Just like the Israelites had been set free from slavery in Egypt, two months in, they're going, we're free, now what do we do? <laughs> and God gives them the Ten Commandments. So, so we don't get set free by the Ten Commandments. We are set free by Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen, but the Ten Commandments, God's word, shows us how to live free. It is a myth that freedom is having no restrictions or boundaries. That's chaos, that's destruction. Freedom is about living within the right boundaries for our lives. The other theme here, uh, and then we'll get to the passage, I'm I'm actually going to read it, okay? Uh, But the other theme is that Paul talks about our resurrection bodies. This is cool and for another day, but but just know that, that one day we will be raised in Christ like Jesus was raised, our bodies, and our bodies will be somewhat like they were here in this life, but some of us are going, okay, this is good. A little bit different too, right? Our resurrection bodies. Again, fascinating topic, but here's the point for this message. Our bodies matter because there's an inter- eternal quality to them. So what we do to them, what we don't do to them in this life matters. There's an eternal quality to them. So that's all kind of context for what I'm about to read here. Verse 15 says this. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? The Greek word for prostitute is porne, and you don't need to be a Greek scholar to connect the dots there, okay? Porne, never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself, kalao is the Greek word, we'll come back to that, to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her, he becomes one with her, for the scriptures say the two are united into one. Where does that come from? Genesis chapter two, when God creates the first human beings, Adam and Eve, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 17, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him, is one spirit with him. And you see in verse 17, the same 
The same Greek word is used there to talk about being joined together with the Lord. Kalao. I want to talk about this word kalao. Would you say it with me? Kalao. Kalao. You got your Greek in this morning. <laughs> kalao means to glue together or to, to cement together or to fashion together. See? So, so when Paul is saying, don't be joined to a, a prostitute, and that Greek word porne, representing kind of this sexual immorality that can happen a variety of different ways, don't be glued to that. Be glued to, cemented to, fashioned to the Lord. Right? That's, that's a good thing. Kalao, kalao. And it's not just a physical thing that's happening here. One of the world's biggest lies is that sex is only physical. The world's lying to us on that one. It is so much more than that. It is multidimensional. It's holistic. Just like we can be joined to God, to Jesus, there's a spiritual dimension to intimacy. And when we have intimacy in, in all the, the ways that intimacy can happen, there is a kalao that's happening. There's a gluing together, a fastening together. This is why Paul says, on behalf of God, because God is a God who loves us, when you come to a place where sexual immorality may happen in your life, run! <laughs> because there's a kalao that happens when that intimacy takes place. Run for your life because something very deep is happening beyond the physical, beyond the surface, even down into our soul at a deep, deep level. Kalao. That is why, I'm just gonna warn you, it's about to get kind of heavy in here if it isn't already. That's why there is no such thing as casual sex or anonymous sex or one night stand sex or, or harmless sexting, right? Because what's happening in all those experiences is a kalao, a kalao, fastening together of one soul and another soul. And this is why an emotional affair is an affair, because there is kalao happening, kalao. This is why, this is why pornography is a problem. It's a problem. You might be thinking, well, who, who does it hurt? I, I, you know, I don't even know the person, no, I'm not paying anything. I assure you, someone's getting paid. It's probably not the person who's actually being exploited. That person's getting hurt. And someone knows that person, someone's daughter or son or all that. Someone's getting hurt, but you know who else is getting hurt? You. You. Because kalao is happening. I talked to someone this past week. He, he shared with me, he said his life had been radically, has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. It's so inspiring to hear him talk about his journey. He's been through all kinds of stuff, but he said, I bought the world's life for 30 years that pornography was no big deal, he said. And then, and then G Jesus showed me, God showed me the truth. And, and he said, and I, I've experienced major breakthroughs, major breakthroughs. And he's gone to courses and he's gone to celebrate recovery here. And, and he's gone through Sozo and all kinds of things. But, but, but he says still, even now, that because of that kalao, there's still times when it haunts him, when it, it hits him. And he's still working through it. He knows he's forgiven in Christ. And, and you can know that you're forgiven in Christ. But there's still an un, you know, gluing that's happening in his life. It, it, it matters, it matters. It's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he, he talks about adultery. He says, you've heard it said that 
that you shall not commit adultery. That's a direct reference to the, the commandment that we're talking about today. He says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. And he goes on to say, if you do that, you should gouge your eye out. Now, we don't teach a literal interpretation of that here at Hosanna, okay? But, but what's he saying? He's saying, if you start to look at, at someone and lust after that, turn away, turn your eyes away. <laughs> turn away. I know some of you are thinking, is it bad to look at someone and say, that's a beautiful person? No. <laughs> no, it's not. In fact, I think it's even healthy. It kind of keeps you from suppressing it to go, wow, that's a beautiful person. And then move on. It, the problem becomes when you don't move on and you stay stuck on and you think about getting on, right? That's lust. That's what, there's kalao happening. Now, all of this is about running from, and I told you this is not the best way to think about how to avoid sexual immorality, not just running from, but running to, running to. And a lot of biblical wisdom, a ton of biblical wisdom can be summed up. If we wanna know how to run to, Intimacy, if we want to know how to have the best offense being a good defense, a ton of biblical wisdom when it comes to pursuing lasting real intimacy can be summed up this way C plus C plus C equals intimacy. C plus C plus C equals intimacy. The first C is commitment. Now I know this is passe. If you can't read it, that says commitment, okay? I know this passe even sound, makes me sound like I'm you know, out of date or out of touch or whatever, but, but commitment in relationships is really important. In fact, if we're gonna have real intimacy, like real intimacy, if we wanna know that there's safety, commitment is so important, ultimately commitment in marriage. I would even go as far as to say that, that if we're having you know, intimacy outside of the safety of commitment of marriage, it is not real lasting intimacy. Everything's permissible, but not everything is helpful, see. There's a, there's a greater intimacy that happens within the context of commitment. And this isn't just a one-time thing. We stand up there and say our marriage vows. It's an ongoing thing. I just talked to this couple last night who talked about renewing their wedding vows. And they were just lit up like, man, it was so good. It is good to do that. The second C is communication. Sorry, guys. Communication. <laughs> and some gals too, right? It is important that we that we share and talk and, and express what's on our hearts. And it's important that we, that we hear, not just listen, but hear each other. What, what often happens is that the, the drain gets clogged, though, when it comes to communication. And, and a clogged drain in communication is a huge intimacy blocker, right? Uh, the other day, our master shower started to flood. Guys, any guesses as to why? All right. What I wanted to yell was, stop, just, would you shed somewhere else, is what I wanted to yell. I didn't. Instead, I yelled, because I'm not a very handy, I yelled, get, get a plumber, call a plumber, all right? She fixed it after that. <laughs> she did. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying in relationships and communication, our drains can get clogged, and it's not hair that's in there. It's, it's, it's frustration, it's resentment, it's bitterness, it's feeling like you just haven't had a chance to talk for months because you got little ones tugging on you or, or work schedules or whatever. And, and so you just need to find that time to unclog the drain. Or maybe you need to call a plumber, a relationship plumber who can help you do that. Communication, so important. And it can, a clogged drain can block intimacy. This last one here, though, is important. Contact, physical 
contact leads to intimacy. It's how God designed it. See, I think the church has missed this at times because, because of the sins of the flesh. The church and Christianity has kind of missed this. Because of the sins of the flesh, the church has wrongly concluded that all flesh is sinful. And, and, and there have even been whole philosophies built around this, like spirit is good and flesh is bad, things like Gnosticism and dualism and stuff that I don't really have time to go into, but, but the message that spirit is good and flesh is bad. You know what the Bible says to, to those philosophies? I mean, God created flesh. He created human beings. He, he created Adam and Eve and said, it's very, very good. There's a whole book in the Bible. Don't go look at it now. Song of Psalms. Song of Songs, I should say. Song of Songs. And, and it is a book about physical intimacy. And, and people, wrongly, have tried to interpret that in funky ways. Like, well, that must be about us and God and us and the church. And I hope it's not because it is very much about the relationship between a man and a woman and the physical intimacy that they can have. And sex is in the Bible because it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's what God designed for human beings to experience together within the bounds of freedom, within his design, within his desires for us. In fact, I think one way to think about this is he created us to be one, not with a bunch of someones, to be one with someone, to be one with one, to be one with one. And, and how do we develop that? How do we pursue intimacy? Any one of these three, investing in these will grow your intimacy, commitment, communication, and contact. But I just want to spend a few moments with this one, contact. In order to have you know, f- intimacy that is real and lasting, it takes lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of contact, physical contact. Some guys in here, I know what you're thinking. You're like, this is the best sermon I've ever heard. It's not exactly what you're thinking, okay? It's not exactly what you're thinking. I want to tell you what what I'm talking about here, okay? And I'm going to share a little bit out of of our relationship, Jen and my relationship, and and how we have been growing in intimacy and oneness, okay, along these lines. Two months ago, if you would have asked me, you know, how's your marriage? How do you think your marriage is? I would have said, "Eh, it's not bad. It's it's good. In fact, it's probably, it's kind of an arrogant thought, but I probably would have thought, that's better than most. But, but now I know, two months later, that actually it was just good enough. That there, there was a gap in intimacy that we hadn't um, closed yet. That, that there was a greater intimacy, a, a deeper intimacy. I was reading this book by a pastor uh, who was writing about um, how pastors can stay healthy, because it can be a challenge sometimes with, with the demands of a pastor's life. Um, and I'm, I'm not telling you the name of the book, because I don't want you to go out and read it necessarily. I just want to tell you about this part. But in this one chapter, he talks about how, as a married couple, he has learned to minister, he and his wife have learned to minister out of their oneness, out of their unity, out of their, out of their oneness. And there's also a section in there about ministering out of singleness, too. But, but what spoke to me, obviously, because I'm married, was, was ministering out of, out of oneness. And it's not just about ministering, it's about living, parenting, being, you know, doing life out of oneness, not something that's off to the side here that you kind of make sure you take care of, but it's like the very source of what you, you know, do out, everything out of. And so in this chapter, he talks about as he and his wife, a number of years ago, they learned that in order to cultivate that oneness, that intimacy, they, they, they needed to spend 15 minutes every morning of what he called non-sexual physical contact. And, and they point to that as, as, as a very significant practice 
And so I shared this with Jen. I said, you know, this is uh, what this pastor and his wife does. I'm like, I, I think this would be a good idea for us too. And she said, that's an interesting idea. I think she was raka-ing me, by the way, okay? <laughs> if you weren't here last week, it's a reference to last week's message. And she was probably thinking he's trying to pull a fast one on me or he's needy or whatever. But, but she, she was like, oh, we'll try this. And uh, we did, not without some spiritual attack, because if you're going to try to go deeper in your intimacy, there will be, the enemy does not want that to happen in any relationship, but certainly in the marriage relationship. But we got there, and we are in the middle of what we're calling a 90-day challenge, a 90-day challenge, where every morning we have spent this time together before the kids get up. And, and, and he, this pastor, talks about not talking about the grocery list or the you know, kids' schedules, but just you know, sharing affirming words and affectionate words and, and reassuring words with, with each other. And I can tell you that, that this has been the single most significant thing we've ever done as a couple in terms of growing our marriage and our intimacy and our oneness. I mean, we're like more connected, we're more for each other. The, the little thing, and this is a big deal for two firstborns, we haven't had a significant fight in two months. <laughs> and we're both firstborns, okay? Because I mean, what's happening? Kalao. Every morning, kala'o, kala'o. And, and it's why that, that labor and delivery nurse takes the baby right after it's born and puts it on the mom's chest because there's something that happens when flesh comes up against flesh that, that goes beyond the surface. It goes into that deeper part of who we are, kala'o, the way God intended for that to be between married people. And and we, we are, are finding that, that it's helping all the other C's as well, commitment, communication, and even the non, non-sexual contact. Okay, you see where I was going with that? Anyway, um, it's, it's growing all of that, and we're more connected. And I just believe that some of you here are ready to take this challenge, this 90-day challenge. For us, it's 17 minutes, you know, because it's our 17th year of marriage, and John 17 was read at our wedding. You know what John 17 says? Jesus' prayer, may they, they be brought, brought to such complete unity that the world may know, that the world may know how much God loves them, which leads this author of the book to say that the loudest gospel message a married couple can have is that unity in marriage because the world comes to know God's love, the gospel. You don't need to do it like we do it. You might wanna you know, hold hands when you're walking every day or, or maybe cuddle on the couch at night. That's not me because I'm not a night person. I'd fall asleep. Um, but, but however you feel led to do that. But you will find growth and intimacy across the board. And I would encourage you to take this, this 90-day challenge. I dare you to. You'll never be the same. Your marriage will never be the same. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, that's not my story, right? Uh, you're thinking, that's not my story because I, you know, I've just experienced a lot of brokenness. I know that's here. I know that, that some of you have experienced a lot of brokenness in, in this area. Maybe, maybe uh, there's just years and years and years and years of frustration. Maybe there, there's um, loneliness in the room. Your singleness, disappointment, not finding that one. Uh, maybe there's regret or guilt in the room or within the sound of my voice. But wherever you are on this topic, I really believe pastorally, I just want to say a few things. And, and one is that, um, that if you're hurting over this topic, 
I wanna validate your pain and, and even honor your pain because I think we're too quick sometimes to go, just get over it and you got Jesus. Ah, hurts. And, and, and God wants to be with you in a very special way, even now, even now. And then I also wanna say to a variety of different people in a variety of different circumstances, some of you need to run, run. Like your life depends on it. And, and don't just run aimlessly, run to help, get help. There, there is help that is, is waiting for you. We would love to come alongside you. I mentioned Celebrate Recovery and Sozo, a prayer, healing prayer ministry. We have freedom courses here. We have marriage courses here. And some, some of you uh, need to take me up on this challenge, and that would be to, to get counseling for your relationship, for you personally. Listen, it is never a shame to get counseling. It is not a, that is not a, sh- a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength, a sign of strength and hope when you do that. A hope for more, a hope for breakthrough, a hope for healing. Get help. Certainly, we're ready, even today, people are ready to pray with you for any old reason, okay? Not just for this topic, but people would love to pray with you, our prayer ministers up front or in the prayer room after the service. But the third thing I want to say to each and every person here, whether you're single, you're, you're experiencing brokenness, maybe go, I talked to a woman last night who was just, just go, finished uh, the divorce papers. Or maybe you're relatively happy in your marriage. Whatever it is, here's, here's the most important thing to hear. Wherever you are, hear this. Run. Run. Run to the safest place of all. Run to the God of the universe and Jesus Christ whose arms are wide open to you that is the source of all life, including whatever relationship you're in or whatever situation you're in or not in. Run to intimacy with him. Run. Because it's in that intimacy or that kala'o with him that you will begin to hear and not just hear but live and, and experience those promises from God like nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Like, like this promise that, that if you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Hear that. Or how about this one? Some of you need to hear this because there might be conviction in the room but there should not be any condemnation because, because God's word tells us in Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. You can be forgiven, made new. And then this one, this promise, that by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We're healed. And so it's his sacrifice on the cross. It's his radical love, the same heart that says run, you know, from sexual immorality to intimacy. He's saying, run to me. Arms are wide open. And he wants to receive you. And that's why it's just perfect that we are, we are experiencing communion today. Because communion is all about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus has made to forgive us, to set us free. And so I wanna pray right now before we enter into this time. Would you join me? Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. I pray where there needs to be conviction, there would be conviction. Where there needs to be urgency to run, that there would be urgency to run. Holy Spirit, where there, there is a need for forgiveness, bring forgiveness. Where there is a need for restoration and healing, bring restoration and healing. Lord, draw us close to you. More and more, we might kalao 
with you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.